stuff for ourselves and then look at our lives to see if we've changed. And so I want to talk about these things this morning. Um, and, but we also want to kind of reflect on the time past, but also set goals, uh, maybe some lists, and uh, kind of set the bar. We have a new decade coming, don't we? It's a little different this year. Not only is it the end of another year, but it's a new decade coming, the end of 10 years, and then Wednesday, we'll be starting that new decade. Some, maybe, maybe not. But my resolution was to read more, so I put the subtitles on my TV. <laughs> Did you like that? Uh, and now you got to have something on 2020, right? Have you heard any of these yet? Looking at the New Year's calendar, we'll all have 2020 vision. And how about the year 2020 is going to be filled with so many puns about perfect vision, I can't wait to see them all. <laughs> and uh, did you hear the one about what happened to the man who shoplifted a calendar on New Year's Eve? He got 12 months. <laughs> And my friend asked me where I see myself in the new year. And how would I know? I don't have 2020 vision, as you could see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Last one, not so good. Um, so, getting back to what we want to talk about this morning, talk to you about is. Um, your year may not have turned out as you expected. And some of you, it might have gone kind of awry. And uh, I don't know what your goals and targets are or were, or what you're going to expect in the coming year, the coming decade, uh, whether your year ended on a high or whether it ended on a low, uh, or maybe... It really hasn't ended yet, has it? But you expect good things or bad coming up. But you know what we can expect in the new year, in the new decade? God will be at work, won't he? So we can expect God to be at work. Amen. And so each, time, each uh, year around this time, 40 to 45% of American adults make one or more New Year's resolutions. And only a week later, on average, we've abandoned those, and then one quarter of those resolutions uh, are not fulfilled, and by the middle of the year, less than one half are maintained. No wonder. Someone once described our New Year's resolution like this. New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. Okay. <laughs> so, what's the point? I'm not sure making one or more New Year's resolutions is really the most profitable thing that we can do this time of year. On the other hand, the end of the year is a good time to look back on the last year and make an honest and sober 
evaluation of our lives. And I think that the Apostle Paul would certainly agree with that based on what he wrote in the book of Romans. So Romans 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Um, but do we need to do more than look back? We also need to look forward. And again, I think Paul would agree with this. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So rather than making some New Year's resolutions, which are unlikely to produce any long-term benefit, I want to encourage us to focus on making something that will be profitable for eternity. I want to talk about relationships this morning. If you've ever taken time to look at our website and other materials about our church, you will see that they reflect the mission of the church and the body of Christ here at Christ the Redeemer which is to make disciples for the glory of God, just as Jesus has commanded us to do. There are three aspects of making disciples that are found frequently throughout the Bible, but perhaps they are best seen altogether in a familiar passage from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. So you can take a look at that. If you like, it's on page 977 and the Bible in the uh, chair, under the chair in front of you. But I'm going to read that for us now. And as he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue, stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by crafty, craftiness in deceitful schemes. <coughs> Rather, speaking the truth in love, we had to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And as we get ready to enter the new year, it ought to be helpful for us to be reminded of why we exist as a church and to bring our focus back to those relationships that are absolutely essential if we're going to be effective in carrying out the Great Commission and making disciples. In this passage, we can clearly see three steps that are necessary in the cycle of making fully mature disciples of Jesus. So the first one, connecting with God. The first step of becoming a mature disciple is to connect with God by developing a relationship with him. The only way we can begin that relationship is through faith in Jesus. So it's no surprise 
that as we read through this passage, that Jesus is right at the heart of every single verse. Now, depending on how exactly you count them, you can see Jesus mentioned in those six verses six or seven times. He's at the center of the passage, and it, it deals with how to become mature disciples, and we see that everything starts with Jesus. And if you read through the gospel accounts, you will find that Jesus provides us with three tests also to determine whether or not we are in fact his disciples. And all three of those passages are found in the book of John. So we're going to talk about those as well. And we'll look at all three this morning. Jesus provided the first of those tests during his visit to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, as recorded in John 8. So John 8, verse 31 and 32 tells us, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you may wonder, uh, how are we applying this, how am I applying this to the concept of a relationship with God? But I want you to notice when Jesus talks here about knowing the truth, we need to understand that in the overall context of John's gospel, he's not speaking here of a principle or a set of facts. He's speaking of a person himself. You're probably all familiar with his words in John 14:6 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. So when Jesus is speaking about knowing the truth, he's very clearly referring to the idea of knowing him as a person. Knowing him as a person. And there's several different Greek words for know. And the one Jesus uses here is a word that means to come to know by experience. So in other words, it's more than just head knowledge. The only way... It is possible to develop that kind of experiential knowledge is by connecting with Jesus on a consistent basis so that we can develop a personal relationship with him. As Jesus called his followers, the first step in the process of growing them into mature disciples was to spend time with them and to allow them to develop a relationship with him. And it was only after that process was well underway that Jesus moved on to the second step. So that's what we want to talk about now, having a relationship with others. And as we read the passage in Ephesians, we not only see that Jesus is at the center of the process, we see that the process of growing to maturity is not to be carried out in isolation. Our development into mature believers is to be carried out within the body of Christ, where God has placed us alongside other Christ followers who can support us and help us in that process. That's why Paul doesn't use the words me or I or even you in the passage, but rather, if you notice, he focuses on we as believers in Christ. The importance of having a relationship with others was demonstrated most clearly by Jesus as the disciples gathered together in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. 
John records that Jesus took a towel and a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet. When he was done, Jesus explained that he had performed that servant's task as an example to his disciples. They were to love each other with that same kind of sacrificial love. And immediately after that object lesson, if you will, Jesus spoke the words that provide us with the second test then. Now we're on to the second test of a disciple, a true mature disciple from John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You, are, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So if we want to be mature disciples of Jesus, the second step is that we need to learn to love our fellow believers. Love our fellow believers. Do you love your fellow believers? Once again, we can't do that unless we're willing to spend time with each other so that we can get to know each other and understand each other's needs and then do whatever we can to meet those needs. So you're all familiar with the uh, one another commands in the New Testament. And they're commands, aren't they? I'm not going to go through all of those, but uh, they counted 25. Um, and here's kind of a sample just to maybe re-familiarize yourself a little bit. Be at peace with one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Instruct one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Bear with one another in love. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Admonish one another. Exhort. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Again, these are commands, folks, that he's given us. Um, so, it's not enough to have a relationship with God to be a mature disciple. We have to have a relationship with other believers. We must also, then, look outside the body of believers as well. So the third area, then, is being engaged and caring for our community outside of the body of believers. Uh, in verse 12 of the passage uh, we, we have in Ephesians there, you see the responsibility of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers was not to do all the ministry in the body, but rather to equip every believer, every member of the body, to do the work of the ministry. And we can summarize that principle like this. Every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. True? Mature disciple? Every member is a minister. It comes much easier for us to understand once we realize that most of the ministry of our church does not take place within the walls of this building. Have you noticed that? It occurs when our members serve on the board of Acts 4 and our members go over to help perhaps sort clothing, furniture, 
deliver items to those in need who would otherwise have nothing. It occurs when members of our church family visit those who are in the hospital or ill and share the gospel and pray. It occurs in the classrooms of both public and private schools where teachers who are part of this body minister to the needs of children in their classrooms in the name of Jesus, even though they are not permitted to speak his name. I know many of you do that. It occurs in our home and neighborhoods where we serve the needs of others in the name of Jesus. It occurs when our church family has given so generously to Lottie Moon so that international missionaries can spread the gospel message to remote areas, let's say in Mongolia, as we've seen, or in remote rivers, as we know some people from the church have served in the Philippines. <clears throat> and, that not only, and that just scratches the surface. There's ministry going on every day in our body and outside the body. And as we might expect, Jesus confirmed this third step in the discipleship process in his own words. In John 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The third test, then, for the true disciple is that they bear much fruit. And in the context in which Jesus spoke these words, it is clear that the fruit he is speaking about here are the works of ministry that impact the lives of people outside the body. Amen. So because these three areas of relationships are so critical, let me take a few minutes to share with you now three essentials for making these three relationships. Are you tracking with me okay here? Okay, great. Amen. Uh, every member of the body needs to make all three connections. Paul didn't write these words to just the church leaders, as we mentioned. They are for the entire body. Paul is clear that it is his desire that the whole body be built up in spiritual maturity, and that can only occur when every part of the body carries out his or her function. Paul reinforced that same idea in another of his letters in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So all three relationships are essential elements then for spiritual growth as well. So that's the second point. It's clear from our passage that the ultimate goal of participating in the process of discipleship is that we should all grow to spiritual maturity so that we wouldn't be subject to the deceit and false teaching that is so prevalent in our world. So that's on us, isn't it, folks? And it's also clear that in order for us to mature to that point, we need to engage in all three relationships on a consistent basis. As we see in our passage this morning, none of these three relationships exist in isolation from others. We see that the principle throughout the scripture, we see that principle throughout the scriptures. 
And a little earlier in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul had demonstrated the same idea in a slightly different way in this familiar passage in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So notice in verse 10 that Paul uses again the word we here twice. In other words, all of this is to take place within the body where we have a relationship with others. And in verse 10, Paul sets the stage for what he'll write later in chapter 4 when he makes the point that our relationship with God is to result in good works as we care for the needs of those both inside and outside the body. So if you want to be a mature follower of Jesus, you must have a relationship with God, a relationship with others within, and then relationship with others outside the body. All three are required. Now, the third essential then in making relationships is that every member of the body is responsible for helping others to make these relationships in their lives. Helping others make those same relationships in their lives. And these three steps are essential in developing our own spiritual maturity. And they have a further purpose then. We're to use these three uh, building blocks, if you will, as the basis for taking our relationship with Jesus and doing whatever we can to pass it on to others. In other words, we not only need to make these relationships in our own lives, we're responsible for helping others make those same relationships. Have you thought about that before? Responsibility that we have? It's exactly what the Great Commission is all about. So, familiar with these uh, verses from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Jesus spoke to his followers that were gathered together with him, right before he ascended to the Father, he gave those marching orders. And those same orders apply today to every one of his followers, don't they? So Jesus, in his complete sovereignty, has determined that the only way that these relationships are to be passed from generation to generation is by those who have already made the relationships in their own lives. It's up to us, folks. It's up to us. That's the design. That's the way God intends it to be. He didn't plan it any other way. He didn't tell us any other way. He gives us that responsibility. That's why Paul, in his letter to a young pastor, emphasized the importance of passing on 
what we have been entrusted to others. And you'll recall 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're strengthened each day, aren't we, by the grace from Jesus? Uh, but that's not just for our own well-being. <coughs> we must take that which has been entrusted to us and pass it on to future generations of Christ followers. So if you really want to make that New Year's resolution this year, I certainly won't discourage you from doing that, but what I really want to encourage you to do this morning is make a commitment to making and building relationships, not just for the coming year or the coming decade, but as a lifestyle. And as you build that relationship with God and connect with others within the body and care for others beyond our church, help others also do the same thing, and you will be glorifying God. Amen? Amen. Now, earlier in the message... I talked about the year perhaps going awry for some of you and not meeting your expectations. For some, it's such a sad season that it's tough to talk about at times, isn't it? So I prayed about this a lot, folks, and <laughs> I know there's a reason why I'm up here today. Somebody needs to hear these words out there. And so I want to close today with these words of hope for you. And it seems fitting uh, at the beginning of this new decade especially. And hope can be hard to find, and, and it's also difficult to define. Uh, some equate hope with an optimistic feeling that all will turn out well. Now, I was a Cubs fan for many years, and I still am. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, but many even know the Cubs went how many years without winning the World Series? 108. And there was a saying they said, wait till next year. Right? Wait till next year. Um, <clears throat> so that's an optimistic feeling, isn't it? Hope. Hope. But here's a couple of biblical-based definitions of hope that I came across and I think are helpful. Hope is a future certainty grounded in a present reality. Future certainty grounded in a present reality. Here, and here's another one. Hope is wishing for what God has already promised us. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 31, that strength is renewed for those who hope in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hope is used 52 times in the New Testament alone. <clears throat> and it's connected always some way to God. Uh, that's enough hope then, isn't it, for every week of the year for you. Friends, no matter what you've gone going through, what you're going through right now, and how much failure you may be feeling, you can count on God to help. 
In Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. David Jeremiah has written a book titled A Bend in the Road, in which he explains how everyone sooner or later comes up against something unexpected and unforeseen. For him, it was cancer. For you, it may be unemployment, uh, could be loneliness, could be straying children, financial issues, relational issues. <clears throat> this is when Jesus, the hope of heaven, steps into our hurts, doesn't he? Lamentations 3.25 says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The key isn't to hope for something, it's to hope in someone. Not to hope for something from God, but to hope in God. Not to hope for something from God, but to hope in God. And as our pastor has said in his messages on contentment, that you may recall, <clears throat> it's only as I place my hope in God that I am freed from that compulsive pursuit of the next best thing that I think will bring satisfaction to my soul. Hope, then, can help me through tragedy or triumph. If you want to make your hope stronger, there's no better time at the beginning of a new decade than we're at here. And there are three decisions you need to make. The first one being, get wrapped up in the scripture. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And this verse tells us that we can hold on to hope because the Bible helps us endure through problems, gives us encouragement through its promises. <clears throat> so, We'd love to have you connect, get involved in the scripture, Sunday school classes for everybody. Getting a little plug in here, 9.30 a.m. Uh, we have many different classes, and I know you'll find many of them interesting, informative, and encouraging. Second step here, get wrapped up in the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Uh, that's what his name means. Matthew 1.21 says that Joseph was to call him Jesus. Uh, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We are sinners in need of a Savior. The way to have hope is to have the Holy One in your life. As Colossians 1.27 says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Step three, get wrapped up in salvation. Over the many years of driving with long commutes that I had, I put some pretty high mileage on cars. Uh, <clears throat> one of the grandkids was with me one time when was turning over 300,000 miles. And uh, 
one of the other kids said, oh, I wish I was there. And then another kid said, no, you don't wish you were there. <laughs> that car was pretty old. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and many times I had some warning lights come on. And for some reason, I'd have a tendency to always hope that they would go away. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? Just go away. And as I... Uh, I usually had to be at work on time or get somewhere else on time and so on. So, uh, what's the point here? Uh, well, the dash light would then maybe start lighting up, right? As they do. And sometimes many would light up. Like a Christmas tree, maybe, huh? <laughs> Green, red, yellow. <clears throat> kind of festive. But how about the gauges in your life? Do you have any warning lights on your dashboard? Um, is God trying to get your attention? Maybe you're at a place where you now realize it's time to hold on to that everlasting hope. Because you don't know how to cope anymore. Um, Admit your sinfulness. Ephesians 2 verse 12 says that remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's important to admit your hopelessness apart from Christ, and you need to own your own sinfulness. But you have to ask for help. The Savior came to save us from our sins, but it's not automatic. You have to ask. <clears throat> you have to ask. If you want hope, you must ask for help. He gives hope to those who have first humbled them, themselves enough to ask for help. Accept Christ as your Savior. When the angel made his announcement to the shepherds, he personalized uh, he personalized it in Luke 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Have you noticed this? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you. Another definition of hope is to trust. It's time to trust Christ today because he has been born to you. To you. Now we read that verse this Christmas on Christmas Day. We read through Luke 2. It was good to see that and focus on that and have others ask some questions um, and be able to tell them more about Christ. But it's good to focus on the you in that verse, isn't it? You, personalized. Unto you is born. I heard someone say these words, and they're very true. Life with Christ is an endless hope. Life without Christ is a hopeless end. Life with Christ is an endless hope. Eternity. Life without Christ is a hopeless end. Hebrews 6 verse 19 refers to this hope as 
We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. None of us know what life is going to hold in 2020, do we? Or the next decade. But we can know the one who holds us. The one who lovingly wraps his unconditional love around us. Do you know him? Have you accepted him as your savior? If you want to experience hope, you must welcome him into your world. Allow him to enter your life so that when you don't know how to cope, you can hold on to the hope that has no end. Amen. 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 So we'll have some folks up here at the close of the service from our prayer team. If you'd like to pray with them, if you'd like to talk to them more, or myself or Chris or others about accepting Christ, we'll be here after the service. What a great time to do that, folks. What a great time to do that. Let us pray. Father, you are a gracious God. We're ever so thankful for who you are and for the gift that you gave us, Lord. Yes, at Christmas time, born of a virgin, Lord, ministered for three and a half years, Lord, on this earth, you incarnate, Lord. And the difference you made, Lord, 2,000 years later, no single man, Lord, who's walked on earth has made such a difference in this world. And we pray, we pray today, Lord, for those that need you, Christ, in their lives, Lord. So we pray that they would come to know you, Lord, as their Savior, on a personal basis, Lord, as we've talked about this morning. Lord, as they ask for forgiveness for their sins, Lord, may they begin a journey and a walk with you for eternity, Lord. And may today be the day. For as we've said, Lord, we don't know, none of us know, what's going to occur in the next year. You are the Christ, you are the Lord, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Jesus, we thank you. You've blessed us here today. Just thank you so much. It's in his wonderful and precious name we do pray. Amen. Amen, church. Amen.